With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sean Henry to our audience. Sean, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us. Well, thanks for having me. Hopefully you have 2 million uh, readers after you're done with me. Sean, you've got a long corporate executive history. You started out, well, I, it looks like years, many years ago at Volume Services. Can you, can, you tell, uh, uh, can you tell us about Volume Services, what it does and what you were doing there? Well, uh, it used to be called Volume Services. It's called Centerplate now, a very different company than when I worked there. But when I started, I had all the vision to help the sporting world. I was a 14-year-old kid. I was a busboy for Volume Services <laughs> at Jones Beach State Park. And I didn't even realize, you know, that they service so many sports teams around the country. And I was just fortunate enough to be at a, a, a great place, worked there all through junior high, high school, and college. And so I paid for my school. I worked full-time all through college. And if it weren't for them, I probably never would have gotten through. So I've always been grateful to them. And then when I graduated, they set up a management trainee program for me. And I was going to spend three months at four different accounts over the course of the year, with the first one being the brand-new home of the Detroit Pistons. And that was the Palace of Auburn Hills. And then I think from there I was going to go to Truman Sports Complex and the Metrodome. I'm not sure where I was going to go for the last quarter. But uh, So I went to Detroit um, in October, which is a bad time to move to Detroit, by the way. <laughs> what they don't tell you is you're not going to see the sun the whole time you're there. But that, uh, that three-month opportunity turned into about a five-year period in Detroit. Never left. was fortunate enough to get promoted a few times with volume services and had a chance to get closer and closer to Powell Sports Entertainment and all the guys at the Pistons who at the time, you know, they were doing some revolutionary things. You know, controlled their own building, had a venue that was designed in and around signage and, and uh, suites and hospitality and a very dynamic group. They're always looking to grow outside their walls. And I was, again, fortunate enough to get pretty close with them. So when I got promoted from then there, I went to St. Louis to help uh, build the new home of the St. Louis Rams as they were relocating and work with them on a few different fronts. But the Pistons and the Palace were always one of my accounts. So I got to travel back there quite a bit. And I continued on that role for, for a long time. And uh, Volume Services, the guys there from Larry Hatch and Steve Denny and John Mescal were just so good to me. They just let me get involved in every sales front, design, and, of course, the normal operations. So very, very grateful to those guys. And uh, they always built bridges for me to our clients. And uh, from there, I left and was part of a startup, an HDTV company called Unity Motion. We were the first to broadcast HDTV to a national audience, first to sell a product in retailers, um, first to do a live sporting event in HDTV. And the Pistons were somewhat involved in that company as well. And unfortunately, it didn't work out as well as we all wanted it to. We were the first to do a lot of really neat things, but we were also one of the first to go bankrupt. <laughs> and uh, as that was happening, the Pistons were in the midst of buying the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I was fortunate enough to work with Ron Campbell, who was the CFO of the Pistons, became president of the, the uh, Lightning, and Tom Wilson, who was the CEO of Foul Sports Entertainment. Uh, finishing up that purchase of the team and the transition. And I was fortunate enough to uh, be offered the opportunity to run the business um, in Tampa. And uh, we did a lot of fun things down there. Well, yeah. Well, in the hockey world, that's sort of, that was sort of your entry point, really, and where your name sort of started popping up on everybody's uh, contact list. Uh, you Now you're, you're uh, down in Tampa and you're, 
you're very involved in um, its its success and its building uh, to where it is actually today. There's a there's a case to be made that uh, you and your team, uh, you know, laid the groundwork for uh, for what's there today. So when you were, you know, you were there for a bunch of years, weren't you? You were down like a decade. Were you in uh, Tampa? Yes, I got there. We bought the team in '99, and I left um, officially in '08 when uh, we sold the team to the, the OK Hockey Group or Oren Coolis, and then kind of stayed on as a consultant for that group, um, and then. Uh, Kind of team was resold to Mr. Vinnick. I was fortunate enough to have a chance to work with him for about four or five months as I was transitioning to Nashville. And it really was nice to see the team go from what we built it to. You know, we took it over when things weren't all that great in Tampa or in that building and had a chance to, you know, create something really, really special with our fans, our employees, um, really grew outside of our walls as well. And then, you know, took a little dip, you know, towards that end, you know, in between the ownership groups. And uh, to be able to chance to work with Mr. Vinnick and that great group was really a lot of fun. And then uh, to be able to do all the things we did in Tampa, back in Nashville again, working with someone very similar to our owner, Mr. Davidson, under Tom Seeger and Herb Fritch, has been really fun the past nine years here, too. Well, it seems like, you know, obviously your experience really going back to volume services, working in buildings and, you know, taking that experience to Tampa and in Nashville, you know, with with you know, the way things are where the building has to generate revenue and has to, um, it, you know, it's a key component of the revenue source for any professional sports team, especially in the NHL. Do you sort of do you sort of look back at your time uh, at Volume Services or Center Plate and see that as, a, you know, paving the road for, you know, Tampa and Nashville? Yeah, I really do. And I owe most of that between Volume Services and the way they used to run the company when they were under that umbrella – and uh, the Pistons and Ron Campbell and Tom Wilson, it was always, no matter what event we were doing, when someone walks in that front door as a guest or a partner or someone comes in the back door as a player or a performer, let's make sure that they can come on in and, and get the most out of what they're coming in for, whether it's enjoyment or extension or brand introduction or to be at the top of their game to play on the court, the ice, or, or the stage. So it was almost it went hand-in-hand hand for me. And you see a lot of teams try to figure out maybe what we do or, or some – teams that connect with the building really well i've never seen it as a connection i always saw it as one and you know the the busier the building is the more opportunity you have to promote what a great experience it is so you can help sell more hockey tickets you know the more hockey tickets the better the experience people have at the hockey games chances are they're going to come out you know to an extra show or two throughout the year and and that wheel just grows together you know more and more but again I, i have to give a lot of credit to a lot of people that just put me in that position and immersed me in that I didn't realize there was another way to do it until I traveled around a little bit more and I saw such a disconnect between building operations, team operations, and even business operations. And no coincidence, I think a lot of the teams that suffer under that suffer on a lot of fronts. Yeah, and you know, you've got uh, from you know from my reading on your background and uh, uh, well, I've known who who doesn't know about the Nashville Predators' success on and off the ice. But I'm focusing, you know, my, the writers here at the Hockey News, they focus so much on the success on the ice. I'm, I'm sort of focused more on the off-ice um, stuff of running a business. And one of the things I noticed that, you know, your, your, that, you know, your organization um, is, um, you know, is well known for is that it's a, it's a top, uh, top workplace. You know, uh, it's one of the best places to work in Tennessee, and you've received uh, recognition for that. How important is it for you to have uh, an environment uh, and create an environment for the employees to uh, come to work, love what they do, and uh, be very proud of uh, the whole organization? 
Well, it's everything. And, you know, everyone in the sports world, entertainment world, we get a lot of accolades. You know, sometimes we deserve them, sometimes we don't. Um, and it's nice. We celebrate all of them, no matter what the award is. You know, Arena of the Year, number one sports franchise in, in the world under ESPN. But the one that we always stop and pause on a little bit more is that Top Workplace Award. Because that means it gives you the foundation to do everything else. And we always talk about building an environment and a culture that allows people to thrive to have their voice heard, to be part of something a little bit bigger than themselves. It's one thing to say, but when you win that award, you realize it is coming together because what you preach is what is being appreciated by your employees. And most importantly, when they thrive under that, we get to move forward and and continue to do what we do, I think, pretty well. And that's connect with our fans and and, uh, the city as a whole. Yeah, speaking of the city, you know, the economic impact that the uh, National Predators have uh, delivered to the region is pretty substantial. Um, you know, do you get a lot of uh, feedback from the you know local politicians and the local business community um, that they're grateful for what uh, you know you bring to the table? Yeah, we really do, and it, it goes back to uh, Mayor Bredesen. It was his original vision to build the building back 20 plus years ago, and at the time, you know, this was not a great place to be. I mean, anyone that goes to Broadway now. We didn't even recognize it 20, 23 years ago. But Mayor Bredesen had a vision. Some people made fun of it, called it, you know, Bredesen's folly. But he understood that if you invested in an area and you bought civic furniture, quote unquote, if you will, that you can drive uh, development around a certain area. And that's what happened with this building. He believed in it more so than anyone else. He was so successful, went on to become governor. But when you go back to 07, when the team almost relocated, that's really when you saw a lot of business people, our fans, and politicians say, wait a minute, this is too important for our economic development and impact to let this go anywhere. So our fans rallied around a bunch of business guys, and then, of course, our current ownership group were all day one season ticket holders and said, you know, we need to keep it here because we're a better city with a team in the center of it, and this whole district can continue to grow. So I think real tangible uh, means you can say, look at what happened almost 10 years ago. Mayor Dean was just being sworn in when the team almost left. He stepped in to try to help save it. Now you had Governor Bredesen do the same thing. Fast forward 10, 12 years, and uh, that appreciation is shown virtually every single game, every event, every watch party. Uh, Yesterday we had our Christmas in July celebration, and in the middle of July, it's 100 degrees outside. You you have about 6,000 people in the building just celebrating the Nashville Predators. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm a personal friend of one of your owners, one of your owners, uh, Warren Moon, who's been a, an owner for a very long time, right from the beginning, I believe it was. And, uh, you know, he told me way back when, uh, when I lived in L.A., you know, he said uh, the most important thing uh, that he felt um, that the, the uh, National Predators really stands for, stood for, and stands for is um, what they give back to the community and the foundation work and that it's, it's done back then and continues to do today. So can you talk to us a little bit about the foundation and what you guys do to the community and how involved you are in the community? Yeah, and you know, Warren is just a great spokesman for the organization. But he's right. I mean, when the team first got here and uh, David Poyle was the GM and, and Barry Trotz was our first coach, uh, they understood that they had a, a, an opportunity to sell hockey in the community. And the best way to do it sometimes is let people get close to our players. We all know how good they are. So they set forth to say, hey, this is what the model is going to be. Uh, we're going to touch a lot of different, you know, uh, places. We're going to take the shadow that the team throws and, you know, create something that can really impact the community more than just the norm. Fast forward to where we are now, and we've taken that up, you know, quite a, a few degrees. 
and uh, we work with a couple hundred um, different organizations on our grant um, distribution that we do, and then another six, seven hundred organizations where our employees and our players touch them on a daily basis. We did something called Hearts of Gold, where every employee donates at least 40 hours a year of service. We give them time off to do that. We take mission trips. And uh, what that's done for us, and it was never the intent or the design, but it's allowed us to grow our business to people that didn't know who the Preds were or what hockey was because their first association with the team was us helping them do something. So as we got a little bit more successful, um, the passion our fans have for our brand allowed us to further impact um, organizations day in and day out. And we have a very simple philosophy. We want to work with as many organizations as possible. And if you work for this team or if you're a fan of the team or you play for the team, we want to know what's important to you. Because when we find out what that is and we connect with it and you put the power of you know, 300 full-time employees, 1,000 part-time employees, and hundreds of thousands of fans behind what's important to you and we just blow up the initiative that you were trying to take on, it's a little bit more rewarding and you enjoy working here a little bit more and everything just keeps growing together. So it's one of those simple byproducts that started out of a simple premise or philosophy by David and Barry you know, 20, 21 years ago. That has really evolved and grown and grown and grown over the years. And, the, you know, that was cast 20 years ago with Jerry Helper. And I think uh, what we've done today is kind of a model, you know, for, for a lot of others. And uh, when something bad happens in our market or a competing market, we can get our power of our fans behind it. When we play the Blues in the playoffs two years ago, they were suffering through the floods. When during our playoff games, we always have our smash car where we paint the card and the visiting team's logo and, all of our fans get to beat the heck out of it. Uh, you pay to do so. But what we did is we took that money and we worked with Chris Zimmerman in St. Louis. And we started doing some auctions between the two of us. So we took all the money that we generated in our market and we donated it to the flood victims. So it gives us a chance to look past our own borders sometimes, if you will. Well, you know, it's it's no secret going to a game in uh, Nashville when you it's an experience. You know, I think I, I can say that uh, I'm one of the lucky people that have been uh, in every single arena where an NHL team has played. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's just a great privilege that I've had over my life to be able to travel not only throughout North America but around the world, uh, gone into different buildings everywhere, hundreds of buildings. And uh, But i got to tell you, your building is, um, is kind of unique in a way in that game day, uh, game night, it's kind of crazy in there. It's loud. Uh, it's noisy. Um, you just It's impossible to take a nap. Uh, at any time uh, at all. So, you know, your fans are well known for their enthusiasm, their excitement. Uh, you know, where where do you think you'd be without without that fan support that you obviously have? We wouldn't be in Nashville. There's no doubt about that. It's uh, you hit it well. We have such an odd buildup of a combination of the music industry and the passion for live events with, you know, the passions of sports that were here before us and NASCAR and football and SEC football and college basketball, where you have all those different traditions all come together in one culmination in our building, and then you throw the best sport of all on top of it, and that's, you know, hockey, of course. And what you have is this explosion of the irreverent hospitality of celebration where you don't know when a song is going to break out, but it's fun. You know, we always say our job is to get out of the way and let our fans just do what they do. And I think that was best exemplified uh, about two years ago. There was a goal review. We scored a goal, and, and you know, the, the opposing coach, for some odd reason, didn't want us to have that goal. So they challenged it. 
So our DJ, of course, just plays Let It Be, you know, a very simple thing. Most teams do that. The difference is the first time we did it, that song with a goal review, and all of a sudden you look out and there's 15,000 people with their flashlights on their phone on. It looked like a concert, and they all were singing it, and it was one of those long, prolonged reviews, which was awesome. We got to play the song almost two times, and that became a thing. It was picked up on international news, but that's what our fans do. They, uh, they, they create special moments, and sometimes – you know, we're smart enough just to get out of the way and let it flow, if you will, or breathe. And we're so lucky to have the fans that we do. They love this team, but I think the fact is the team's only 20 years old, so you have that honeymoon period that was there, and then the team almost left just 10, 12 years ago, so the fans saved it. So there really is this weird ownership, more so than just being a fan of the team. And it shows in how we cheer on our own team and maybe make it uncomfortable for the visiting team when uh, we score a goal or if, you know they take a penalty. And your, your ownership group is made up of uh, a group of local owners, businessmen, like you said, first season ticket holders and so on. It seems like, I, I, is, it, is it like eight or ten people that are part of the, the ownership group that you interact with on a, um, you know, a, a, a weekly, monthly basis? Yeah, so we have you know, ten individuals, and what I love about all of them, and they're fans first, and they're proud businessmen that love the city. Um, but, you know, we set up like a board, and Herb Fritch is our chairman. Uh, he replaced Tom Seeger about a year ago, who who led you know the the resurgence and that group you know forward. But uh, you know we we meet from time to time, um, but I hear from them the same way we do we hear from our fans for the most part. You know they all come to our games. All of our owners wear you know their jerseys or or uh, windbreakers, and they sit in the stands. You're you're rarely will ever see one of our owners sitting in a suite. You know they sit uh, right in the seats, and that's a lot of fun. They come in the same doors our fans do. So what you get is this really neat feedback or an understanding from your board. You know, when we want to take on new initiatives or new investments in the building, it's fundamental they understand it because they see it the same way our, our partners and our, and our uh, fans do. So it's just a great group of individuals that have all been very successful, wanted to keep this team here, and are pretty proud of what we created. And they drive us forward. And it's nice to be able to share philosophy or have someone point out something maybe you should do slightly differently because they know the community's you talk about investment and, um, you know, where, where, is, where do you see the next uh, major investment um, for, your, for your team? Is it in the, uh, the arena? Is it in um, uh, youth hockey? Is it, uh, where, where's, the, where's your next big focus? Well, for us, you know, over the past six, seven years, we've put about $80 million in the building. Uh, we just struck a new 30-year lease with the city uh, for us to stay at Bridgestone Arena for the next 30 years. With that, We've identified uh, a way to ride off the success of the building to continue to invest in the building, but we'll have to renovate this building, almost rebuild it two times in the next 30 years, and now we have the means to do that so we can continue that aggressive capital investment within the building to keep it one of the more modern buildings in the country. But as you're doing that, we opened up our first rink uh, four or five years ago. We, we cut the ribbon on our second rink in about two months from now, so one's 20 miles east of the city. This one's 20 miles west of the city. And we're about to announce two new deals with uh, two other counties um, in the surrounding area. So it'll give us uh, four rinks and uh, at least eight, if not 10 sheets of ice that are new to the community. And that, that's important. You know, for us, it's not just building the rinks to get more and more people playing, getting on ice and help promote the game. We work with the local government to put the new rink in a part of town that needs development. 
So our first one was in Antioch, which was going in the wrong way for too many years in the city. It's the southeast part of the county. And now there's just this wave of development happening around that rink. And it was the same with the one we were building in Bellevue, about 20 miles west of here. It was in a vacant mall. No investment was happening in that area. Now you have this vibrant development and housing complex and apartments and hotels being built around our rink. So it's, it's really exciting, not just to build more and more rinks, but to help change um, the economic success of certain parts of counties around the area. Now, all this that you're doing, uh, you know, you've got a you've got a personal life. You've you know been married and got kids. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, your wife's name is Tracy. Is that correct? My wife's Tracy. Yeah, we have four kids that range from 23 to 11 in age, and you know they're in the center of everything that we do. Well, that's great, and and you're on a lot of boards. You know how it seems to me that uh, you spend a lot of time obviously building your business, but you seem to have a lot of time for. Uh, you know, serving on not-for-profits. I know you're on the YWCA, I believe it is, and other boards. You want to talk just a few minutes about how important it is, and from a business point of view, that you know that you're active in the community, not just from a business point of view, but also from a from a philanthropic point of view. How important is it for a CEO of an organization to be involved in those organizations as well? Well, I, I think it's paramount uh, for those that do it and naturally get it. For those that don't think they have enough time, they're probably missing the bigger picture. And again, as much fun as it is to be on those other boards and you know, take on something as serious as domestic abuse as we do with the YWCA and our AMEND initiative, I mean, there's no bigger challenge to our community than the threat violence on women pose. And we rank in all the wrong places as a city and a state in that. So I think it's really important to make this a better place to live and just to do what's right. Um, but I would say you always have more time than you think when you're working on something that's really good and important. But for me, I'm fortunate. You know, my, my wife and I, we met when we both worked with the Pistons, you know, a long, long time ago. And uh, she gets as excited as getting involved in the community than I do, and probably more so in many cases. And, you know, for our kids, everything we do, they're kind of, you know, at almost every game, most concerts, um, all their leagues and initiatives and clubs are kind of intertwined through everything we do in this building and then outside of it. And, it's just fun to be able to, you know, leverage your position, if you will, um, to take on some important challenges in the community, and then also just get involved in things that are really fun to your family. And it's it's great, you know, to be working with your kids' hockey teams or soccer teams or drama club or band. Um, and I, for those that say they don't have enough time to do it, maybe play golf a little bit less. You know, a great <laughs> quote I heard once is, "You have a choice, right? You get." be a, a good dad or a good golfer. And if you ever saw my golf game, you'd think I'm the best dad in the world. <laughs> <laughs>